Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to read the Bible together now, so if you have a Bible with you, feel free to open to Romans chapter 15. And we're going to read from verse 14 to 22. If not, the passage is on the screen for you as well. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit." Therefore, I glory in Jesus, in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders and through the power of the, whole, the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. It has been a great journey through the book of Romans and coming to this last passage is a bit of a pulling together of what does this all mean for the people that the Apostle Paul was writing to but also for us. I'm going to pray now that God will help to just open our eyes and our ears that we might be able to understand what this does mean for us. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, we thank you for this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome. We thank you that it speaks to us today in ways that is so relevant we pray that you'd help us to see that. Talk to us, be with us, Lord. Let your spirit move amongst us so that we might be uh, turned into the people that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's something about belonging that we all long for, to be accepted, to be wanted, to be able to contribute. That's something that's bigger than me. It's something that's built within us that just wants to belong to something. And there's been points in our history where this has been more evident than others. So at the moment, I think we're quite individualistic, but yet this COVID thing seemed to have touched a nerve uh, within us to go, we're in this together. We want to take the COVID precautions seriously. To some extent, it has unified us as a country. But there's been other points in history where you really feel that this was really taking hold of belonging to Australia meant something. 
And I want to point us back to what happened around World War I. So just over 100 years ago, uh, I come across these posters that were, were uh, being posted around to, to generate what this meant. These come, uh, we were on holidays in Kingaroy and went to the museum. I saw these posters and I thought, man, I've got to get a picture of this. These are powerful. So I want to share them with you. This was what was going on just over 100 years ago in Australia, where the, the media was all saying, men, you are wanted. And we all want to be wanted, right? That I feel needed, appreciated, valued. And the signs are saying, the culture, the talk is, men, you are wanted. Boys, come over here. You are wanted. It's like, come on, come and join us. We know you've got life, but it's going to mean something if you come over here. You're valued, you're wanted. Cheer on Australia, boys. Come on. Like, this is unifying, right? We're doing this for Australia. It's not just a group of individuals, but we're doing it for a nation. Come on, join us. Uh, in Freedom's Cause, so some people are going to be fighting on the front line and giving their lives, but if you can't, you can lend money. So even you who can't go to the other country and fight, you can be a part of this too. You can support the nation in, in what they're striving to do. Help with lending your money. Not just all about men. There's the Women's Land Army. You can be a part of it too. Stuff still needs to happen. So they're asking the women, you're, you can be a part of the language of you're part of the army by serving. Serving as well uh, in Australia. Not just in Australia, to do something, do a worthwhile job. Is that putting value on something more than others? Do a worthwhile job. Join those in helping out in the hospitals, restoring people. So it's really pointing the finger. Do it. My favourite poster is this last one. It like grabs me to the heart. See if it does you too. Change over to the victory job. And it's like, who, who's the, the others had specific male or female audience, whether you're serving or uh, here back in the country or on the front line. But this one, with a lady, I think she's speaking to everyone. And you see the fist, and see the way she's leaning forward over the, Do a worthwhile job, a victory job. She's like, come on, let's get behind this, let's do it. This is a worthwhile cause. Now, I feel like, is this, is this about duty or passion? Because I think in the past, I've thought about, you know, if, if a war was to break out, uh, who would be signing up? Who would be signing up to join the army? Was, maybe back 100 years ago, it was out of duty. Out of duty, people signed up to join the army uh, or, or any of the ways they're asking people to serve. Because it's for king and country, and this is what I signed up for, so I have to do it. Now... In our culture, 100 years later, the whole individualism sort of, it grates a little bit. Duty gets you so far, but would you lay your life down for duty? Or is this passion about belonging, having a purpose, having a goal, that I'm needed, I'm wanted, I can contribute, whether I'm overseas fighting or here back in Australia, whether I'm a man or a woman, I can belong. There's this common cause, and I see that, and I think, man... If we were back 100 years ago, that, if that was the culture of Australia, that would have stirred the passion. There's nothing duty-bound about that. It's about, I want to belong. I can make a difference. I'm wanted, needed. I can contribute. I can be a part of it. There's something that stirs the passion about that. It's like, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Well, 
maybe not overseas, I might be the guy staying back in Australia doing the work. But yeah, sign me up, I want to be a part of that, I want to belong. Now, I wonder what that means for Christianity, for being in the faith, for believing in Jesus. You know, sometimes we think being a Christian means doing our duty. This is what I do, because I'm a Christian. I've got to live different or be different. It's duty-bound. Or does it stir the passion? Does it mean that you belong to something? Does it mean that you're wanted, you're needed, you can contribute, that you belong? See, when we get to the end of the book of the Apostle Paul, he's saying something that changes, changes our view on what we're signing up for. It's no longer just me, the individual, my faith, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I do these things. But yet, he goes on to say, you belong to something much greater. You belong to a movement. You belong to something that's uh, been going on for so long, but yet it will continue to go. You're a piece of something much greater that you belong. And I think we need, we're going to work through this passage just to appreciate what that means and what it really looks like to belong when we call ourselves a Christian, when we believe in Jesus. What does that look like? Paul first says, we're going to look at a greater purpose, a greater movement, and also a greater leader. Now, the greater purpose is outlined in the way Paul talks about himself. We had this read for us. When he first says, so chapter 15, verse 15, the grace of God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Gentiles are just people, you had Jews back in those days that uh, had the scriptures, had, had the faith of, of an Old Testament believer, but believing in Jesus, uh, it changed. The Gentiles are people that aren't Jews, they're far from God. He gave me this priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God that the, that, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, what he's talking there is God's given me a particular job. The, this is the Apostle Paul to reach the Gentiles, those who are far from God. And he does this, he says, I've been called as a priest. Um, there's a couple of Old Testament roles, a prophet and a priest. The priest brings people to God. They bring them to the temple, they make their sacrifices. The prophets brought God's word to the people. Paul's got this function where he's doing both. He's preaching God's word. He's preaching the message of Jesus, the story of Jesus, about how Jesus came lived, walked amongst us, displayed that he was truly the son of God, then died for us so that we might have life and that he rose from, the, uh, rose from the grave to show that he is truly Lord. Now, trusting him, we too can have life. This is the Jesus, the message, the word of God himself. Paul says, I'm going to bring the word of God to the Gentiles, but I'm also going to bring the Gentiles to God as this this offering that's acceptable to him. He's bringing people to Jesus. Now, when we see this about Paul, how Paul talks about himself, is it a duty or a passion? So in this role, he kind of says, well, God has given me a specific role. Jesus has specifically pointed him out and gave him a calling, we might say. But as he goes on, we can see how this is not just a job for him. It's not just a calling. It's a burning passion. See what you think, how he describes himself and what he's doing in these following verses. Uh, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to 
Alericum. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I mean, does that sound like somebody with a duty or a passion? He says, I glory in this. What does it mean to glory in it? Like I boast about it. I'm proud of it. This is my joy. Paul could say, I have one of the greatest testimonies where Jesus came into my life and spoke to me and turned my life completely around. Paul could say, I'm one of the greatest theologians the world has ever seen, the way he can explain who God is and how to know God. Paul could say lots of things about himself. What is the one thing he glories in? The way God has used him to reach many, to save many who are far from God, now children of God. He says, that's what fires me up. That's why I do what I do, why I do what I do. And it's not about Paul's mission or Paul's plan. It's all about Jesus. It's all about God working through him. That it's not Paul's plan and God's joining him. It's God's plan and Paul being drawn into God's plan. It says, God's using me in this through signs and wonders, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through lives being changed. It says, I'm making and growing disciples. I see it. It gets me excited how Jesus has completely rearranged his life. Paul says, I'm not just about the gospel. And I think I've been guilty of saying things like that. We're a church that's about Jesus. He says, no, I am the gospel. You know, cut Paul. I bleed the gospel. My whole life revolves around the gospel We used this word earlier uh, in Ryan's interview this morning. We orbit our lives around Jesus. That's the gospel. Paul's life has been rearranged. Paul says, I wouldn't be anywhere else. In fact, I've done all this stuff. I could take a back seat. I'd have a holiday and go, good job. He says, no, I'm ambitious. I'm ambitious. I want to keep preaching to the people, to the hardest ground. I want to go and see more people saved. This is Paul's passion, his purpose. It's a greater purpose than just him. It's much greater than one person and Paul's life. It's God's mission. And this is where we see he's a part of a greater movement. It's not just about the story of Paul. Because sure, we can say, well, Paul, he had a special calling. He's a priest to the Gentiles. Good for him. I'm not a, I haven't had that calling, so it's not me. No, Paul says this is a greater movement that people belong to. There's a whole lot of verses here we're going to cover quickly. Uh, We're covering a chapter and a half this morning. But um, this is about uh, how people are involved in this greater movement. And he talks about how people's giving. We're going to talk about giving, praying and serving. And he uses this example in verse 25. He says, Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. Now, this is this thing happening at that time, we know from other parts of history, because this is a real historic record. There's this famine, awesome. There's this famine across that part of the land, and it's particularly impacting Jerusalem. 
their suffering. There's these other two towns, Macedonia and Achaia, still partly in famine. Now, that the, the politics of this is just worth noting. Jerusalem are where the Jews are. The traditional, you know, the, the people who have had the history of following the God of the Bible. These other places, Macedonia and Achaia, Gentiles who are far from God. That'll make sense a little bit more. These people for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessing, they owe it to the Jews to share in their material blessings. So we've got these uh, other churches that you might say are benefactors. They are contributing to life in the other church. Now, how the, the Jews, who are very proud of their uh, religious heritage, take um, the idea that Gentiles, far from God, kind of dirty money, according to the strict Jews, how would they accept that is another thing. But we see the way the churches are pulling together is not just Paul on his journey. We have churches, we have numbers of people now serving each other through their income. Now, we can see this more clearly on the, how they're feeling. Is this duty or passion? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's talking about the same things. It's worth looking at a couple of those verses. Paul's describing the same event. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He's talking about those churches. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. I mean, is that duty? Or is that passion? When these guys are saying, look, let us give, let us serve our brothers. We're on the same team. We're in this movement together in Christ. Let us do it. And he says they gave beyond our expectations. I mean, that, that stirs our hearts on our attitude to giving, where we see things like this, a greater movement, they see what's going on, let us contribute with our finances, let us be the benefactors. What about people praying? Because Paul then adds a few lines back in Romans. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, join with me in my struggle. Paul's struggling. He's saying, join with me in my struggle. How? By praying to God for me. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea. That's where Jerusalem is, where he's given the money. And that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there. Because he's still not sure where the church in Jerusalem is going to take Gentiles' money. That's a prayer point. So that I might come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. Now... I haven't looked this to be exact, but I can't think of any letter that Paul's written that doesn't appeal to his readers to please join me, please pray for me, please be a part of this. Paul might be doing work in another country, but he says, you're a part of this, you're a part of what I'm doing. Pray with me, prayer is important. Paul can't do what he does without people praying for him. Prayer is being a part of the movement that we can do for each other, with each other. There's also the way people serve. 
He goes on and here's a whole bunch of verses. I won't go through all the names. I'll spend a few minutes on this first person but then move through them quickly. Just get a feel of how is this movement much greater than Paul. He says, uh, start of chapter 16, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. Now even this is an interesting point. This is first century Roman Empire where the culture there is to be somebody, you had to be a bloke. You know, we'd feel unco- we do feel uncomfortable with that today. But the reality is, for a man, you're a somebody. You're significant. You get mentioned first. If you're a woman, sadly to say, you're barely a citizen. In fact, you're an asset or a possession for a man. But yet, what does Paul do? The first person he mentions in this whole list of people that he's going to recognise for what they do and how they contribute is his sister as in sister in Christ, Phoebe, a woman. He says, man, you need to recognise her. She's a deacon, which means somebody who helps the elders run the church. So she's somebody who's really stepped up in her leadership. She's also the benefactor. She's the one that's funding many ministries of many people, including me, he says. So he says, she's a part of the team. He goes on, Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ... They're with me. They risk their lives for me. How's that to be a part of the team? They're risking their lives for him. Uh, Also, they have the church that meets in their house. He mentions another guy who was the first convert, who's not just, I'm standing on the sideline with my face. No, he's he's prominent as well. Uh, Mary, who worked very hard for you. He doesn't say exactly what she did, but he's saying, there's this lady, Mary, you might not have met her, but she's working hard for you. There's this other couple who's been in prison with me. You know, they're they're names we don't know, never heard of. You won't see them in scripture again, but it's just they've been sitting with me in jail. There's my dear friend in the Lord, somebody close to me. There's another guy who's a co-worker. My dear friend, he says, they're with me. There's another guy who's stood the test. We assume he's been under certain trials and he's still going. He says, recognise him. Another guy who's my fellow Jew, I think that's pointed out because the letter to the Romans, if you've been on the journey, there's this tension between Jews and Gentiles. He wants to say, no, Jews who believe in Jesus are on the team as well. Those who are in the Lord, on the team, they're a part of the movement. Then he talks about a couple of women who work hard in the Lord. And then another lady, another woman, he says, who has worked very hard in the Lord. I'm not sure whether you've picked this up. I'm not sure whether I've really want to point this out but did you notice he never talks about a man who works hard in this passage but it's the women who work hard in fact they work very hard there's Rufus and his mum his mum's been like a mother to me it's like this is much more than Paul this is way bigger than Paul it's a movement that's going on that's not just um, a few people with deep faith. It's a very wide thing that's covering lots of churches, lots of countries now. He drops in a couple of verses. He'll come back and name a few more people. But he drops in a couple of verses because it's not all rosy in the movement. He says in verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. They are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. See, he says, there's people with their own agendas. 
That's quite natural. We want that. They haven't had their lives transformed or rearranged by Jesus to get on board with his agenda. Be careful of them. Because when you're part of the movement, you're signing up not for your interest, but the interests of Christ, for his mission. Be careful for those people who are going to disunify what we've got. He mentions a few more people. There's Timothy, my co-worker. This guy, Tertius, who wrote down this letter. So he's got to be the administrator. We all love people who do admin. There's Gaius, who's big on hospitality, not just for Paul, but the whole church. He is the, he's the hospitality guy. There's also this other guy who's the city director of public works. So when Paul was talking about welcome or greet the households, he's probably talking a lot about slaves in those households. But he says we also have prominent people in this movement as well. This is a great movement of people. It's not just one man. It's not just Paul. In fact, from Paul's perspective, he can't do what he does without all these other people. We could say he stands on the shoulders of those around him and those who've gone before him. Paul says, it's not my mission, it's our mission. It's not my suffering, it's our suffering. It's not my work, it's our work. There's a shift there, isn't there? And it's not about duty. See, from the people's perspective, is this duty? Oh, I have to go and help Paul. Or is it their passion? Because the way it reads, it's passion. They genuinely want to be there. They genuinely work hard. They genuinely want to pray and serve and give. They genuinely want to practice hospitality. They genuinely want to put their lives on the line to sit in jails, to open up their houses to others. Like this is, they're all on mission. They're all part of something greater. It's not just about Paul. It's a very wide team now. It's very, it covers a lot of people, churches and cities. That's what it means to be a part of a movement, to be part of something greater than just us. Now, any sort of movement, if it's duty-bound, has limitations. If it's driven on one personality like Paul, it'll fall apart when Paul goes. This is much greater again because there is a great leader in this great movement. Verse 25, we pick this up. I should warn you, this is one long sentence. It carries a few ideas in this. Take a deep breath and uh, read it and then we'll just pull it apart a little bit to, to feel what he's saying. Verse 25. These are the final verses of Romans. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Christ, Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings and the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. He's saying this is not about Paul. In fact, it's not about a philosophy. It's not about morals or ethics. It's about a person, Jesus. That Jesus truly is the Son of God, truly did walk this earth, truly did die for our sins, truly did raise again. And through the power of the Spirit then, it transforms our lives, orbits our lives around Him, it rearranges our lives, it changes us. It truly changes us. It's Jesus' mission. God has always been on mission to save his people. Paul alludes to this, the revelation and the mystery that's gone past. Paul says, I'm holding up the scriptures here. 
you know, we have the New Testament that clearly lays out Jesus. But through the Old Testament, God is promising, I'm going to fix the humanity's problem. I'm going to do it through my chosen one, the son Jesus. So God's had this mission to bring people him for generations, for hundreds of years, for centuries, that he, we go back. God's been doing this. We're a part of something much greater. That so Jesus is our leader. Our mission is about Jesus. And the movement continues to be about Jesus as he leads us. And to be a part of this movement is much bigger than us. It's easy for us to be sitting here in this church today going, feeling like we're starting from scratch. This is us. What are we going to do to help our community see the good news of Jesus? But he says, no, look back 2,000 years ago to Jesus, even beyond that when God was talking about this. It's past the test of time. I can't think of any other movement that has been going on longer than the growing work of Christianity. Look wide. It's going across countries. It's not a particular cultural thing. You know, some interesting things uh, we're talking in the office uh, this week. The fastest growing country in Christians. So more Christians are uh, becoming faith percentage-wise than any other country is Iran. Like around 2020, about 20 years ago, uh, it was said there was between five and 10,000 Christians. 10,000 at the most. But then... Now, 20 years later, there's between 800 and a million believers. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? We hear these stories of this is hard ground to plough. This is hard work to put seeds in. But God's making it grow. It's not just us here in this room, not just even us here in Australia. Countries like Iran. It said in the next 20 years, it's China and Africa. There'll be more, they'll be the two countries with the most believers in them more than America, more than Europe. Like, it's wide. So it looks back, it looks wide, but also looks into the future. Paul alludes to this a bit when he says he's going to uh, continue to proclaim Jesus so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, faith in Jesus. It's like, while there's believers, while there's people who don't believe, who haven't found Jesus, who haven't found life, he says this mission... This movement will continue to roll on and we can see it through history. But it's not going to stop until Jesus returns. It's going to continue to go, continue to grow, continue to power on into the future till Jesus returns. This is the movement. It's like there's a whole lot more to this than just, oh, it's me and my faith and I want to keep it personal and, yeah, it's just about me. No, no. To really capture this, Paul says it's much greater than just you. You belong to something much bigger. Now, I just want to spend a few moments. What does this mean for us and our story? We've called this series, this term, so from uh, yeah, chapter 9 in Romans on, our story. Because up to that point, it was all about how God is bringing us home, bringing us to him, making us his children. And now from particularly chapter 12 on, there's lots of things that are, are really important for us as a church, his children. How do, we, how do we understand ourselves? How do we understand what we do, who we are, how we live together? This is our story. And it's getting together with God on his mission. So to just realise as we sit in here today, it doesn't matter if you've been a part of Southside for years or just turning up, 
we need to realise that we are building on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. We belong to something that goes back. You know, whether we say, we can say we go back to the work that Paul was starting way back then. Uh, we mentioned last week some of the things that happened in the Reformation 500 years ago that has set the gospel foundation for what we have now. We could also talk about some interesting stories that how the gospel come to Australia and how it was a priority in those uh, days of early days of settlement. There's also the stories about how this church was planted. This church was planted in 1984, nearly 40 years ago, by some gospel-hearted people in Cooparoo. They wanted to see this was a growing area. They need Jesus. Let's plant a church here. That in that journey, they took the initiative to buy land, to buy a house, and to pay for it to establish some work here in this area. 2003, this is more familiar for me, when we uh, become a part of things here, there were 10 people meeting. That was the average attendance of the, the church of Southside. But they were people who were committed to keeping the doors open at that time. They were under-resourced but faithful, keeping the doors open because they knew there needed to be a church in this area. We're standing on their shoulders. We have people that were in the early days of the church, and I'll just mention this name, um, Anne Wotherspoon, who was an older lady who come on board, was so committed to prayer, to praying for the work of this church, praying for the new generation of kids' ministry. She would stir up the other oldies around her to go, get on board, this is exciting. She had a significant impact on us. A lady you would never know, or most of you never know, never met, a name you don't even, uh, never heard of, we're standing on the work that she done. We're standing on her shoulders, I should say. The early days, the way we... Uh, had a culture of hospitality and, and Kim was a big part of driving that culture. We had benefactors. Let me share just one story with you about how people uh, helped us in those early days particularly. Was We had this young guy at church called Ben Mansfield who we wanted to get him trained up for ministries doing this thing called MTN. We didn't have the money for it. The denomination helped us to pay for it. But the money that the denomination had was a bequest. So when somebody dies, they can choose to leave money towards something. Now this man, I don't even know his name. I don't know what church he was from. But he made a quest, a gift uh, in his will. He said, I've got three children. So what I'm going to do is divide up all my assets, divide it into four each child can have a quarter, and I want to give quarter to the work of the church, specifically for training young ministers. What we got in training Ben, some of the funding from that, was from a bequest from a guy never heard of, don't know where he comes from, but financially we've been blessed through that. Standing on the shoulders of those who've gone before us. Many people have continued to do that. And you know, we had a gala at one point when we first uh, got this auditorium nearly finished. We said, let's have a fundraiser gala to celebrate what God's done for us, but to help uh, give us an opportunity to give money. And a part of that, on the night, people gave 45 grand, extremely generous. But another group of people said, we're going to match dollar for dollar, whatever you people give. They personally chipped in 45 grand, which made 90 grand to help us uh, to do things that we, we would have been struggling to do in this building. Lots of individuals putting lots of work and using their gifts in building and other things to, to make what we have here. So we've got to be thankful. People have gone before us to allow us to be sitting here today on comfy seats, warm with the air conditioning, sound system <laughs> that's uh, almost perfect, but it's, 
It's not about the building. They did it because we're a part of something greater. God's mission for us to reach the lost. We've got way more seats than we need because we've got way more people that we want to see come in. We're, building, we're working on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. The, the mission of Jesus. So I just want to finish with two questions. The first question is, do you want to be a part of something greater? Is this something you're signing up for? Not just your own personal faith, I want to believe in Jesus and find life, that's great. But I actually want to sign up for God's mission, for the work that he's doing. We look back, look wide, look forward. I want to be a part of that. Because that's a big part of what we say with our vision, that we work and pray that God would use us to reach 1% of our community. This actually, a lot of this is based on what Paul is saying at the end of Romans. When we say this, this is the vision of our church here at Southside. If you want to be a part of Southside, this is what we're signing up for, that we're going to work and pray. Paul's talked a lot about, about that, how to be a part of this something greater. We're going to work and pray that God would use us. And this is what Paul's, it's not our vision, it's not us wanting to be a big church, but it's God's mission for the lost to see saved. He can do it, we can't. So we're just saying, God, use us. Like what Paul's saying, I glory in the way God's been using me. I glory in seeing the lost come to have faith. And we're saying that same prayer, use us, Lord. We want to glory in that together as a church here at Southside. And to reach 1% of our community, in a sense, I've been told, hey, that's pretty audacious, isn't it? It's even slightly arrogant. But it's like what Paul says. He says, I'm ambitious to preach the gospel where no one else, is, where no one else has, that people haven't heard. It's not wrong to have an ambition. So we're going to have an ambition. We want to impact our community. 1%, that's a small number, but actually with over 100,000 people near here, that's 1,000 people. That's a little bit scary. So we're actually picking up a lot of the principles Paul's saying in there. But it's an invitation. Do you want to be a part of something bigger, something greater, what God is working? This is not just about me, about you. It's not just about Southside. He's seeing our community, seeing the lost come to faith. To let God rearrange our lives with that passion for the lost. It's that whole thing about we're not just about Jesus. We want to bleed Jesus. We want to be the gospel in our community. So when you're a part of Southside, it should mean we're a part of something much greater than Southside. So do we want to be a part of something greater? The second question is, how do we stand on the shoulders who have gone before us? We looked at how people have set us a platform. How can we be the generation who takes that next step so we can lay the foundation for the future? And this is where I think this, hey, do you want a victory job, a job that really matters, where you're needed, you're wanted, you can contribute, but to claim that victory and there's lots of opportunities to be a part of that. And we've seen that through the way Paul writes, that are we a people who are committed to prayer? And that's even in our, even in our statement, our vision statement, that we want to be a people of prayer. I'm so encouraged that guys like Tim meet up in that top room at 7.30 every Sunday morning praying for our service here this morning. You've been prayed for. He's open for as many people want to join him. 
He's there till 8.30. Go and join him. But there's lots of ways we can do prayer for each other and we want to do that better and we're working on how we can communicate better as a church to be praying for each other. Prayer is a big important part of this uh, laying the foundation. There's benefactors. I mean, it's exciting the way people are being generous with their gifts to be able to do the things we do in its outside that cost money. But I shared a story a few weeks ago and somebody said, hey, I hear we're putting solar on the roof. I know our budget's tight. Can I pay for that? I mean, that's like awesome. That is so generous. It ticks one of those things that helps us so, so much. Is this an area where you can help? That I can be a benefactor to help fund what's going on here? There's all sorts of opportunities to work and work hard particularly since we've moved to this team ministry culture where we're working together. We need more leaders to be leading teams where we look after each other. There's lots of training stuff going on that people are using their time and using their gifts in amazing ways. But there's always more to be done. The vision's so big, we're always looking for more help in different areas. Talk to Ryan about that. Uh, things like hospitality, hospitality administration, even things like where people are willing to put their lives on the line. I'm not sure what that looks like for you, but I think they're talking about youth and kids ministry. Putting your life on the line. It's sacrifice, isn't it? That we're willing to do that, to be a part of that. To stand on the shoulders of those before us, but to, to be the ones standing up in this generation. So the next generation, the kids in those rooms can come on. They know Jesus, they love Jesus and they're going to be building on the work that we're doing now. But also for our neighbours, for those in our community who don't know Jesus, that we have an opportunity to have those conversations, to be praying for them, to be inviting them to the Alpha course, to be hooking them in, to go, hey, we love Jesus and we think that you'll find life on knowing Jesus as well, to be having those conversations, to be reaching them. That's reaching our community. That's allowing God to use us in that journey that brings us joy. Is that something that gets you passionate about? To go, yeah, it's not just about me in my own little corner, but I'm a part of something much greater. This is the whole book of Romans. You've been brought to God as his children, but you've been brought into a family that belongs to each other. We've been brought into the mission of God to reach others, to reach the lost, to reach the next generation, to reach the neighbours, that we would glory in that that on our last days, on our deathbed, that we might say the greatest achievement in life, my life is the way God used me to see many people come to know him. I mean, that fires me up. That's something I want to sign up for. And I hope that stirs you too. And I hope you think about it, pray about it, and have conversations with the right people to actually do something about it. Because there's something exciting going on here. We're seeing God answer our prayers. And we can just praise God that he's involved us in his mission to reach the lost. Let me pray now. Dear Father God, we just thank you that, that your vision and your desire for the lost is so much greater than us. Lord, we confess that sometimes we just get consumed in our own little bubble, but that's our own little faith, our own little lives, our own little spots, even our own little church. And we forget about your desire to see the lost find life. Beyond the desire to, to see many people come to be a part of your kingdom to be saved. Lord, give us the burden for that. 
that we want to step up, that we want to be part of something greater than ourselves, that we want to see lives change and we want to be a part of that. Lord, we know you have the power to do it and we're pleading to you, use us. Use us, Lord, whether we're teaching kids ministry, cleaning, or music, whatever, Lord. Use us in whatever way we can. We commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.